Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Jackie Spear was 28 years old when she accompanied her boss, California Congressman Leo Ryan, on a fact-finding mission to Guyana. They went to investigate allegations that a charismatic leader, Jim Jones, who had enticed more than 900 of his followers to leave the United States and follow him to the jungles of Guyana, was holding people against their will. The mission was to escort those out who wanted to leave. Instead, Jones sent a death squad to murder the congressional delegation at a jungle airstrip as they prepared to leave. Five people from the American delegation were killed. Congressman Ryan, three journalists, and one of the temple's defectors. Spear was shot five times and left for dead at the airstrip. Meanwhile, at Jonestown, Jones led his followers into a death pact. They drank a cyanide-laced fruit drink that left more than 900 people, including women, babies, and children, dead. Bill Nygut talked with Spear about her Jonestown experience and also about what she expects will happen in the new session of Congress now that Democrats control the House. Congresswoman Spear, we're very glad you could be with us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Bill. Let's start by talking about your experiences, about your book, and then, of course, I'm going to want to ask you some questions about what you expect to happen uh, as we move into the 116th. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating about your story and the way you tell it is that for people who really um, think of Jim Jones only in terms of the horrendous massacre itself, they may think of him as having been a man who was considered an evil force throughout his entire life. But in fact, you remind us that's not true at all. In the early stages of his work in San Francisco, he had the support of many uh, prominent Democratic leaders. Um, he helped elect George Moscone, mayor of San Francisco. You tell us that Harvey Milk, uh, in fact, sent a letter at one point to President Carter uh, disclaiming uh, any kind of abusive behavior that the president may have heard that Jim Jones had, um, had been involved with. So he had support from political leadership early in his career. So if you go back in time even further, he started out as a simple preacher who had a charismatic uh, appeal that drew a congregation to him. Now, it was the beginnings of a cult. There's no question about that. But he had this vision of bringing the African-American population and the white population together to live in harmony. And, you know, this is during the 70s. So he had great appeal, particularly to young people and to an African-American population, many of whom were uh, disassociated with family. And this became their family, uh, actually for both groups. That was this new um, family that was being created for them so that they would feel a sense of unity and, and oneship, uh, if you want to use that word. So he comes to San Francisco after having been in um, the Northern California, and he's got 3,000 members in his congregation. And 
as you might expect, he could garner a lot of support by um, having them go out and walk precincts for candidates. Uh, when they wanted to create a rally, instantly there would be a couple thousand people there. And so he uh, created that uh, tit-for-tat relationship that then gave him the opportunity to demand, actually, and that's what he did. He demanded becoming the chair of the Housing Authority in San Francisco. He was offered the Human Relations Commission. He says, that's not good enough. Um, And so under George Moscone, then mayor, uh, he was given that. And he he fabricated a um an image that was hard to deny i mean he had members of his people's temple who would sit in the audience during a housing um meeting and uh, applaud whatever he said anything so he created this aura about him that made him somewhat in- invincible uh and so um because he had that kind of political clout when there were allegations made of uh, bad behavior, illegal behavior, the powers that be, whether it was the local electeds or the law enforcement, tended to turn the other way. Yeah, you. Um, and I'm, that's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please finish that. So, and that's one of the the messages, you know, that um, there were a lot of people that did not allow the system to work as it should have. And because of that, over 900 lives were lost in Jonestown. Well, you point out that, yeah, you point out that even um, uh, toward the end, when you arrived with Congressman Ryan uh, in Guyana, uh, you you all in the delegation became immediately suspicious of the relationship that uh, he clearly had established, that Jones had clearly established with the Counselor Corps there. And, and so even that late in the game, there seemed to be an interaction between Jones and uh, American uh, officials who continued to feel he was, a, uh, if not a positive force, a major force they had to reckon with. In, in fact, um, I lay a, a fair amount of blame on the State Department. The State Department has an obligation under the law to protect American citizens abroad. And in this case, they did not, clearly. And it wasn't as if they weren't informed. I mean, there were defectors who left the People's Temple, uh, sought uh, security at the embassy in Georgetown, Guyana, who were taken by the Counselor Corps there and um, given an opportunity to, to get out of Guyana and back home to the Bay Area. And in those cases, uh, even with the truly uh, alarming accounts of what was going on there, the embassy and the officials, the ambassador and uh, the council general there did not take the kinds of steps necessary to protect American citizens. Yeah. They uh, would go and visit and then they would be holding you know, arm in arm with Jim Jones taking pictures as if that was going to instill any kind of confidence in someone who wanted to leave. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how you entered the picture. Uh, it, there's some irony here, as you are the first uh, to point out. You uh, went to work as a volunteer for Congressman Ryan, who uh, sort of styled himself as a young Kennedy-like Democrat, uh, and you became a, a Ryan girl. Uh, why yes. did you dress as a Ryan girl, <laughs> Congresswoman? 
<laughs> so, all right, you've got to remember that this is uh, 1966. We, we accept that, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm 16 years old. It's the height of Beatlemania, and so that particular campaign season, uh, then-Assemblyman Leo Ryan um, wanted to have a, a, a group of women who would go to shopping centers and pass out literature and attend events um, to promote his campaign. So um, I had a costume that I was um, asked to wear that included go-go boots, white go-go boots, um, black uh, tights, uh, a black houndstooth mini skirt, a black turtleneck sweater, and a houndstooth uh, bobby hat. And um, obviously, um, I have a picture in the book about it that yeah. shows how... <laughs> Even back then, there was a, a certain amount of objectivity, uh, objectification, I should yeah. say, well, um, that I was too young to appreciate what was going on. Yeah, but of course, the great irony of all this is that you have become one of the uh, leading proponents of uh, fighting uh, for uh, w- women's safety. Uh, you're, you're a leader in the Me Too movement. You've passed legislation in Congress. So you've come, you've come a long way since those days in the yeah, 60s. Yeah, well, thank God. <laughs> um, Let's talk just for a couple minutes. You, you say you've shared your Guyana story countless times. And, and when we, by the way, we're going to edit a little of this, and we will have talked about how, what the experience that you lived through there. But you say, I've shared my Guyana story countless times, but it's still a challenge to go back and relive those days, to go back to the gunshots, to the tarmac, to the stretchers, to the volatile flight home. How difficult is it? today as you embark on a, on a publicity tour to talk about this book to relive this experience? Well, you know, it certainly, um, you know, has its, its elements of anguish that, you know, kind of wave over me from time to time. Uh, but I feel at this point, two things. One, I, I've been able to put some time between that incident and the rest of my life, and the book is about much more than just the Jonestown experience, sure. I might point out. Um, and I, I've been able to compartmentalize it. I, that's actually one of the uh, techniques I have used in life, unknowingly un- really, to kind of deal with all the trauma that I've had uh, separate and distinct from the Jonestown experience. So uh, that's part of it. The other part of it is is that I really want this book to inspire, you know, a new generation of people who know nothing about Jonestown uh, to understand some of the pitfalls of that kind of a, a group. And there, are, you could argue, there are other cult-like groups in our society today. To to recognize that um, no matter what happens to us, we really have a groundswell of power within ourselves to endure what we think we cannot endure, mm-hmm. that we are tougher and stronger than we think we are. And hopefully to you know, inspire uh, young and old about uh, how they can make it through life and, and be productive. You, um, l- let's move uh, into more about your career for a couple of minutes that we have remaining. Um, one of the things that I was really struck by is um, – we know that you uh, lay on the tarmac uh, severely wounded for some 22 hours before um, you were evacuated. And and I think I, I'm right that the scenario is that 
when you got to Georgetown after the first evacuation, there was a white medevac airplane. And you, you remember vividly United States of America being painted on the side of the plane. And that's I was right. very touched by that because in some ways well, it strikes me that there's something symbolic about seeing – you're seeing that in those desperate circumstances and how it may have propelled you forward in your life. Well, there's no doubt that that particular image in my mind is with me all the time. I mean, I saw this gleaming white plane with the words United States of America uh, written across it, and I thought that someone had just wrapped me in the American flag. I felt I felt safe finally. I felt like um, my life was going to get better now. And I flash back on that particular moment every time I say uh, the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem to remind me of, one, how fragile life is, how lucky you and I are to be American citizens and to have the opportunities and the responsibilities associated with life in this country. So, um, yes, it, it, it was one of those pivotal moments in my life. As you head into the 116th Congress, um, how, how are you reflecting upon where the country stands today in terms of upholding the ideals that that airplane reminded you of? Well, we all have a, a, a profound um, responsibility to make government work. I mean, this shutdown has been fabricated on so many levels and um, is, you know, more of a, um, a, a, a I, I hate to use the word, but it's it's more of a political um, antic than, than anything else that really needs to be resolved and resolved quickly. People's lives are at stake. There's you know income that they're not receiving. I've gotten calls to my office from service members who don't know where they're going to you know get their next meal, literally, because they live paycheck to paycheck. Um, and while some service members have been receiving it, the Coast Guard was not receiving it. But so are all the other, uh, the, the Customs and Border Patrol agents, the uh, TSA agents, all these people that are, are not getting paid. And I frankly think Congress shouldn't get paid when we have a, a shutdown like this. Do so, you support um, the Speaker, uh, a speaker uh, it, it presumed Speaker Pelosi's plan uh, with the other uh, Democratic leadership to uh, try to uh, pass funding for all the departments except for the Department of Homeland Security. Do you support that plan going into tomorrow? So I support that plan. Now, it does fund the um, Homeland Security through February, agency right? through February, but that will give us the opportunity to negotiate a deal that the president will um, be able to support. I mean, there has to be a win-win for both sides at this point. We, we can't feel that somehow we can mow over the president. We can't. Um, there's got to be an opportunity to create a win-win. I spent Christmas Eve with the troops down at the border in San Diego. They've been there since early November. They've missed Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's with their families. And they're sitting there, and while they weren't going to say anything against the commander-in-chief, they were clearly I indicating that you know there's nothing for them to be doing there. And they've laid the sea wire uh, across the uh, walls that exist already, and truly all the people are basically coming across the border and saying, um, I am seeking asylum. So they're not people running away from the, 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 the CBP officials. Mm -hmm. um, 
do you have any confidence that the president, in a meeting with the leadership, uh, uh, which is going to happen this afternoon, uh, uh, presumably, uh, will find a way to compromise on this? He seems to be backed into a corner more than uh, than the Democrats are at this point. Well, that's true, and, and that in part is we've got to find a graceful way for him to be able to come out of that corner. I mean, we have an obligation to do both at this point. We've got to get people back um, to receiving their paychecks. We've got to open the government. We've got to make sure the Smithsonian is going to be open its doors tomorrow, um, and I think we've, we've got to work on a solution. Um I know that we've run out of our time with you, Congresswoman Spear. I'm very grateful to you for taking a little time to talk with us. Happy New Year to you, and may you have a wonderful 116th Congress. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.